You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. In fact, this is the first episode of Season 3. And you know what? Our guest, uh, Reverend Paul Nash, has appeared on every season. (laughs) So, Paul, welcome back to the show. Wow, Series 3. Thank you very much. Oh, well, it it can only get better after Episode 1 then, right? I mean, it's great (laughs) to be back. Thank you, Saul. It's great to be back and... uh, I always look forward to being there. And congratulations on the third series. That's just wonderful. Uh, thank you. To our listeners who are hearing you for the first time, uh, Paul Nash is the chaplaincy manager and spiritual care lead at Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospital in England. So, uh, Paul, um, I know you shared a lot of your journey on our first season on how you ended up at Birmingham Children's Hospital, but you've also been really one of the most innovative chaplains out there. And um, tell us how you how how you got there, and then the vision for today's discussion: multi faith uh, chaplaincy. Mm, yeah, thank you, Saul. Yeah, well, that's very that's very kind. Um, I think we um, we've been inspired by some of those classic quotes um, that many many of of, of the listeners in uh, Einstein's definition of stupidity. Um, keep doing the same thing over over and over again and expect different results, right? I mean, I, I think the church has got that down to an art. I I, I really do. Um, and so we we've tried just to do things differently. Um, and um, personality wise, if if listeners are, are familiar with things like Myers Briggs, I um, I I'm a bit of a risk taker. Um, you know, another one of our values would be uh, failure is not trying. Mm. It's not, you know, it's not being unsuccessful. It's not trying. And so we do lots of calculated risks. And, um, yeah, so, some of that development has come out of uh, Birmingham becoming the first black majority city in the UK. Um, and the privilege that I've had over the years of uh, leading a very, very large uh, and vibrant multi-faith and belief team. So I like I like that philosophy where failure, it's okay to fail, you know, because most most people are terrified of trying because of yeah. their, you know, fear of failure. Well, well, I think like like I say, I think some of it's personality. I think that's that's how I'm that's how I'm made, um, and I um I I I just get frustrated when we sit around complaining about things not changing and we then don't do anything about it. And I, one of the things I learned very early, especially in, in ministry, saw was people find it really easy to embrace change if you call it a trial. So, you know, instead of giving people the impression this is a permanent change, just say, let's try this for a week, a month, three months, a year. You know, depends how frequent something is. Do do all your consultation, do get all your buy in of your stakeholders and say, look, that wasn't working so well. Let's try this. And if it works better, fine. And and, and if it doesn't, let's not do it. Uh, And um, 
the vast majority of the things that we've we've done um uh you, you know have worked out quite well some things have just you know we just did a bit of research um during covid that just completely failed uh, just before covid i mean it was just disastrous and you kind of go oh well but but that attitude we kind of go well we know what doesn't work now yeah. and, you know so you know we're very much that kind of we we learn through our mistakes and you know we do our risk assessments and we make sure everybody's safe and we we're not silly in in what we do and i think the other aspect so i don't i don't know i i suspect you you've seen some of this during covid that we um we had to change drastically what of how we operated in chaplaincy during covid and we got pushed into all of this kind of zoom malarkey that some of us were quite reluctant to and you know, oh, we can't, how do we relate to people like that? And, you know, um, we've developed, you know, out of that, we've we've developed a whole suite of digital chaplaincy resources. Perhaps, you know, we'll perhaps chat about that series four or something. But, you know, we're, we're really excited about digital chaplaincy. Uh, mm. You guys call that a bit te- tele-chaplaincy and telehealth and stuff, yes. but, but much more wide than that. And, yeah. You know what what you guys are doing you, you know and we we've we've found we've been pushed into things and taken our contexts and our pressures seriously and gone what what can we change and um one of one of my favorite stories for this is what's been really good for us we we did a memorial picnic uh, and walk once a year um at our national memorial arboretum um, and it was more one of our spiritual pastoral events. So there was no prayers. There was no blessings. You know, we do an activity for all the family to join in with. We go for a walk. Uh, we the, Our memorial at the Arboretum is the Riverside Walk. So it's a beautiful walk. And um, it, it's when you've heard that definite lead, leadership, it's like herding cats. Well, well, taking <laughs> 180 people for a walk is like herding cats, right? I mean, it was... <laughs> You know, so for two hours we 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 gathered, we went for a walk, and then we gathered around our tree. The families laid their the parents uh, and adults laid a sunflower. The children might have done a decorated a windmill or a flag, you know, or a butterfly, and they then come and hung it on our tree. And then we had a picnic together, and we did that. And and like I say, it was like herding cats. You know, taking two hundred people for a walk. Um, and then gathering around the tree that, you know, is not big enough to gather to, you, you know, in this little coppice. Yes. And um, out of COVID, we couldn't gather people. So we said, well, what could we do? And we we wanted to do something. So I kind of begged the Arboretum, what could we do? Come on, we must be able to do something to help these people. And we came up with the idea of doing a drop-in rather than a, an event. And um, so we hired... The, the marquee for all day and we put half the team in the marquee where we would normally gather and then half the team at the tree where we would normally have the little memorial event and we just said to people arrive when you want leave when you want go where you want walk on your own and we'll be at both ends and if you want somebody to walk with you we'll walk with you and it works so well we now do that regardless of covid Wow. So because, you know, we ended up having longer, better conversations with people mm. because there was less focus on 
we must go for a walk with now. We, yeah, otherwise, we don't go now. You, you know, it doesn't, and and we won't go back. It, you know, we we kind of went wow. And sometimes you just have to try these things to to know. And I would have never dreamt. With the, the the picnic was one of the highlights of our year, and I would have never dreamt it could have been better. And it's three, four, five times better than what we originally did. And I I suspect we'll never go back. So COVID has brought with it, you know, some innovative ways to do ministry. That Absolutely, is actually we've been more forced, powerful. haven't we? Right? Yes. So to lead us into our conversation for today, let us create a context. So you started working at Birmingham Children's Hospital. Uh, was it always uh, multi-faith? Chaplains has a philosophy of care there? Well, just. I mean, it was a handful of Christian chaplains and a half-day Muslim imam. And so to be fair to my predecessors, that you know uh, the, the growing Muslim chaplaincy uh, in in Birmingham, uh, a m- growing Muslim population, sorry, in Birmingham, and we uh, and and my predecessors had the sense to 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 uh, employ an imam, um, and so I'd uh, I'd been in an inner city church uh, in Birmingham, um, which you know it was uh, I was very very privileged when I changed. Uh, trained for, in your language, the Episcopal Church Ministry, had a, a wonderful training vicar, and he was fantastic. He very, very evangelical, but had the full respect of the the local Muslims and, and the mosques, it, to the extent that it, the, they invited him to be chair of the Churches and Mosque Association, you know, which for a very out-and-out evangelical minister is, you know, quite a compliment. And I, I learned a lot with, with him, and when uh, our local football for your language soccer team wanted to expand their stadium and close one of our local roads, we, we have ours in the middle of housing estates, un- unlike the way you guys do, do your stadiums, you know, ours are, you know, they're in the middle of cities and, you know, so they wanted to close one of the, the local roads and, um, People were in uproar, you know, it would have been, you know, really disruptive for people. And um, the, the churches uh, and the mosque decided to protest. And so this is a big, you know, th- this is the football team who who our future king, you, you, you know, will 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 support. You, 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 you know, um, this is um, you know, this is Aston Villa, you know, this is yeah. not a small football team, right? Yeah. And and we joined uh, arm in arms with uh, it. It was men because it uh, obviously with the, some of the gender tensions, and we joined arm in arm uh, and ringed uh, Aston Villa football ground uh, uh, in protest uh, to to this road closure. And um, fortunately, they took that seriously, and they did a cantilever stadium with the with the legs on one side of the road and built the stadium so you could drive under it like a semi-tunnel. Mm. And, and I, I learned a lot, a lot through that kind of collaboration and um, of what you could do to benefit when you work together. And so I took that into hospital chaplaincy. Um, and, um, yeah, so when I arrived, it, it surprised me that there was only um, a Muslim man 
Um, and so the first thing I did was when I became, after about three years, I became senior chaplain. And the first three new appointments that I, I made and got extra funding for was uh, a Hindu, uh, a Sikh and a female Muslim chaplain. And, mm. uh, and um, yeah, that's kind of where it, where it started and the uh, the team has the team has grown from there yeah so tell us um uh about the the core principles of uh, multi-belief care so when when i when i say multi-faith uh, i i mean uh, a team would would have uh, uh as many representatives as their institution you know represented within their institution so we we have um you know a third of our population of our hospital is muslim so we you know we have a good percentage of our team are muslim and we 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 do it proportionately to the demographics of our of our hospital and uh so we we then we have the Muslims visiting the Muslims and the Sikhs visiting the Sikhs and the Buddhists visiting the Buddhists and the Christians visiting the Christians and the uh, spiritual care staff um, visiting families that have no particular faith or would like, you know, don't want somebody from religious background. And, and I would call that multi-faith. Some people call that interfaith. What, what some people um, call interfaith, um, which is what we don't do, is where that everybody seeks to serve everybody in the community. And I appreciate that values. Um, but we, we uh, advocate multi-faith care uh, of being slightly more, I think we, we have some, uh, some values and some visions that I'm not saying that inter interfaith care wouldn't uh, meet, um, but ours you know, I would be an advocate for doing multi-faith, not interfaith care. And and the the reasons would would be many level really. And we have several several principles out of our book. But I think um, uh, I I look at it like like this: that if I was in uh, a foreign country uh, where Christianity wasn't the predominant faith. And they had a chaplain in that, and I was ill, and I was in that hospital. I I would appreciate any chaplain coming around to see me, because um, I would understand that I could differentiate between my religious, spiritual, and pastoral needs. And I would love to see anybody who wanted to help me engage with my spiritual needs and my pastoral needs, who was going to sit and listen to me, uh, and 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 actively support me and help me to understand what was happening to me. But if I had really serious religious needs, if uh, if if I wanted to engage with with a Christian prayer or communion, um, you know, I, I would want to I would want a specialist Christian chaplain, uh, and I'm I'm I want to offer that to the families in in our country and in our hospital and in, in our cities that if they have bespoke religious needs. I I know a little bit about of these religions. I've got a book apparently um, that I've edited with my name on the front, and you know I'm supposed to know quite a lot about all this stuff. But you know I I want to respect those those needs of that family and that patient, 
by by my Buddhist or my Hindu chaplain going if that's their if that's their faith and and if the family decide that that's what they're not bothered, well then that's their that's their choice, you know. But if they declare that, you know that that for me it's out of a respect of that bespoke need that as a Christian I just wouldn't know, you know I wouldn't be able to go and do the Islamic birth in prayer or a he praying for, you know, uh, praying in Urdu or uh, Arabic. I, I just wouldn't be able to go and do that. And, you know, if that family, if that faith is so crucial to that patient or that family or even that staff member, um, I want to, I want to do that because I'm just not sure that that, that one size that fits all, um, is is the most respectful way to 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 work. That's that, that would be one of my key key values and 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 drivers. That's really powerful. And with that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Again, our guest is Paul Nash, who is a chaplaincy manager and spiritual care lead at Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospital. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Berman. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Paul Nash. Uh, before the break, and you were talking about how powerful it is uh, to have your spiritual care needs met by a spiritual care specialist in your of your own faith. And that is really powerful. And, and, and you guys have this wonderful starfish story that also <laughs> narrates that. So can you tell our listeners about that uh, starfish yeah. well, parable? Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, it's not my it's not my story, and and I I heard it many many years ago, uh, and it's become uh, a foundational story uh, to to as I've grown to appreciate story. Uh, this this story is one of the foundations for for ministry, uh, uh, and and so I would say even for my ministerial uh, and mental and spiritual well-being for sustaining in ministry. So the story uh, is told in many different ways, but um, one of their versions is that um, uh, a, a more senior gentleman was sitting on uh, on the, a sand dune uh, overlooking a long beach, uh, and uh, he could see this person in the distance, and, and they were um, just w- walking towards him and just occasionally just um uh reaching down into the sand and um picking something up and and seemed to be throwing it and so they kind of got their attention and as they got closer they they could see they were picking something up intentionally in the sand and picking it up and throwing it back into the sea uh, and then the, the the person realized that there was lots of uh, the previous night's storm had had uh, washed up lots of starfish onto the beach uh, and what this person was doing as they were walking towards them was picking up um, the occasional starfish uh, and, and throwing it back in, in into the sea. And the um, person could see that there was just lots and lots of starfish, you know, still on the beach. And so they were kind of out of um, 
they were slightly frustrated, slightly irritated, but and slightly intrigued. And so they wandered down to the beach to speak to the person and kind of go, well, what, what are you doing? You, you, you know, there's there's hundreds of these starfish, you know, washed up on the beach. You, you're not going to be able to throw them all back. Can you can you tell me what you're doing? And uh, and and this this young girl then picked up the other uh, picked up another starfish um, that had been washed up uh, and threw it back into the sea and turned around to the gentleman and said, well, it made a difference to that one. It made a difference to that one. And I I think for me, you know, when we look at the the enormous need in in our own communities, in our maybe even in our own families, in our own places of worship, in our own countries and around the world, we can get easily overwhelmed and debilitated by the size of the problem. Hmm. And the starfish story equips and motivates me that it made a difference to that one. Hmm. Uh, and that's become one of the cornerstones of why I can get up tomorrow or Monday and go back into, you know, a, a large children's and women's hospital with lots and lots of need. And you can't meet it all, but our, our capacity and our privilege is to have the opportunity to make a difference to one. Hmm. And many people have picked up that imagery um, uh uh, in different ways and that that's um and so that's shared so so when we came to do think about the multi-faith book um uh we 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 really liked that imagery and we wanted a structure um so the the book has uh six major religions of, of the uk um and it takes all the different uh different aspects of that but it picks up the imagery of the starfish of what's on the top. What do you see? But this was a bit where until I did a bit of research, Saul, um, that how a starfish moves and, and eats is, is in its underbelly. Mm. So it's the under, what you what you see on the top, the muscles of how it moves are, are underneath and its mouth is, is underneath. And so we we wanted these five principles to kind of say, well, this is what you see on the outside, but but what's on the underbelly uh, of of that? And so we we sought to kind of frame, you know, the far five points of a starfish uh, for five principles and five aspects of an underbelly, because it's important that we that we articulate our values because people might see them, but until you actually you can see the practice, but you don't always know the values and the motives be- behind those practices, and they can look very, very different, um, and can be motivated and have very, very different. Um, yeah, and be- and because we 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 tried to kind of do it, you, you know, to help people, we we did all all five uh, having the the letter C, or you know, one one aspect of the you know one word in the sentence of the title. Uh, beginning with C, um, and a couple of them have several C's. So you know, but yeah. but then I'm dyslexic, so so they could have gone anywhere. So what could I tell you? But you know, <laughs> but then you have these five core values mm. in practicing multi-belief yeah. care, and the first is creative, focused competence. Can you unpack that for yeah, our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So I think what's what's really important is, um, so. 
you have to imagine this this came out of you know out of a pediatric setting so uh, and and sadly the illustration i'm going to give you now that motivated us 15 years ago is actually still the same nearly still the same now so if any of your listeners went went to their organization uh, uh, to their website and to their resources uh, and many people have done some wonderful this is what Hindus believe this is what Sikhs believe this is what a Muslim would like at the end of life almost all of those that you find online are um, uh, for adults and as we developed the multi-faith team and as we developed our, our service with that multi-faith bespoke feel to it we realized some of these things were not the same so for instance you know many of us might know that a Hindu and a Sikh adult uh, will always be cremated, but but a Hindu baby will always be buried. Mm. And you, so you know, so being informed um, to to some of these, you know, what we might call cultural literacy, um, and you know, and how you know uh, it's been a a national hijab day, you know, uh, the Muslim head covering for women in the in the UK this week. And, you know, people need to realise many of these women wear them through choice. It's not an oppression. They they choose to wear them. It, it's, it's not, um, you know, they're not oppressed into wearing them. And, and realising, you know, why, why do some folks have problems with some of these medicines? You know, it's because they've got pork product in them. <laughs> you know, now, you know, People would appreciate it now. If you're a vegan <laughs> and somebody says, well, here's this medicine, it's got all this meat product in it, you know, you might kind of, there's no there's no rocket science there to why some people would take that and kind of go, do I really have to have that? That's, you know, that's against my beliefs. Yeah. Well, that, that, you know, that different level of uh, of prohibitive, you know, religiously would 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 be there, and you know, it's important that we understand. You know, we I, I've been persuaded, but I, I've I've really appreciated the Jewish and Muslim value of of high of having intention, uh, and I think they have a much healthier view of uh, and value higher value on intention than 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 a lot of Christians, but but sometimes even intentions. Are, are not enough you, you we need to be competent uh in in what we're in what we're doing and 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 being uh being creative and you know and and celebrating what we have in common as well as what we have different so one of the things that we did when we did a new bereavement suite saw was to um get all of our multi-faith and belief team together and go what kind of imagery could could we do and have in this room that that would is there something that we could have in it that would soothe most people that would walk in now that's a really really high bar right i mean <laughs> i mean you know true I, I can still feel the twitch as as we led this meeting together to try and find something and and it was one of those things all that ended up being surprisingly easy it, sometimes you kind of go round and round, right? Yeah. Some of the stories I told you last time about 
the Held in Hope series, you know, you, you struggle. And we found that everybody in the room within their faith and spirituality belief found the concept of moving water a healing and soothing imagery. Hmm. And we went, wow. And when you then, if you're familiar with the bereavement imagery of the, the waterfall and whirlpool of grief of, you know, life comes and then you have this big waterfall and the whirlpool is churning up all of those emotions. It's a, it's an imagery that many people find helpful uh, to understand bereavement and loss. And so we had this uh, 3D wood carving put on the wall of a stream and then a waterfall and then a whirlpool and then a river coming out the other side of it. Hmm. And, you know, we, we need to figure out what we, what we have, um, you know, what we, what we have in common and what makes us human and, you know, celebrating that human race, that one race um, and those things that we can do, you know, together and, and, to, and to do that well. And that looks like it flows into the second core value, which is global inclusive connectivity. Yeah, well, I, you, 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 you can give me the benefit that there's a logical flow to this, Saul, if you like. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, out of that competence, um, you, you're right. And so one of the other things I should have said in the competence is what we did was to develop some virtual rooms um, and so we 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 got um, our faith chaplains working with our um, with our tech people, and we developed these these rooms that when you go into something, yeah, again these you know this is quite a while like this is ten years ago. So when you clicked something in the room, it, it a video would come up or an interview that would come up, and so you know we we did some things like that and simulation training. With one of the do you guys uh, those those dolls that you have in hospitals? We call them resuscianis. Do you do you guys have a similar phrase for that or not? Does that mean anything to you guys? No. You, but you know the dummies that they practice on with the breathing and doing them. Yes. We we call them resuscianis, and we found one where you could turn the head, um, and you know wasn't just white, and so because when a Muslim child. Um, dies, you want to place it in a in the bereavement suite, and you want to face its uh, have its face turned towards Mecca, and so we were able to do this through some of the simulation training, and so the connectivity came out of to kind of go, well, how can we help support that? So the hospital gave us some money. Again, this is now what, especially with Black Life Matters and a lot of inclusivity you know this is now quite normal and wonderfully normal in a lot of hospitals but we started what we called a multi-faith and cultural advisory group um and what we did was figured out uh, with uh, each of the um beliefs uh, represented on the group could choose two or three national uh, sorry uh, annual events uh, within their faith that were, were really Im important um and so some of the, the Muslims chose uh, Eid and, um, and Ramadan and Muhammad's birthday and the, the Hindus chose Holi. And, and so what we did was then we developed a whole suite of activities that could be celebrated by children, families and staff. And so for Holi, um, that, that, that for those of you not familiar with it, a Hindu festival that you will see all the colours and all the dried paint, um, we, we then 
every year to celebrate that, we get white overalls and put anybody who wants to take part. Um, and for those that can get out into our garden and they put their overalls on and, and then we just go and throw dried paint over each other. Uh, and, and it is just, can you imagine just how much fun that is? And, and this year, because of COVID, we, we obviously couldn't get that close to each other. And so we decided the way in which we would do it is that we did graffiti boards. Um, and then we took it, took it around. We took it to our mental health units and we gave everybody the opportunity to do uh, graffiti boards to celebrate that colour and vibrancy. And we had some of our patients coming out into our garden that could come out and it was just it was just really really beautiful and and that you know that that way we were able to do that um and so we wanted to kind of symbolize again that multi-faith but respect the individual faiths so one of the ways in which we did that was um within this bit of money that we got we um and I, and I can send you some links if folks would like to see these because they're beautiful we gave um we were working with a, with some artists to figure out how we could celebrate each of these different faiths and beliefs represented in the hospital and so we worked with a, a woodworker um and each uh, faith uh got the opportunity to choose the symbol that they would like to represent their faith and then he did, have you, I'm trying to explain it, what, what we would call inlay wood. So within this round wooden plaque, the woodworker carved out the shape of the symbol and put a different colour wood into it. So it's dark wood and then the, the light wood. And they're just, they're just beautiful. So, you know, the Jewish one was the Star of David. The Christian one was a cross. And, and so the, these... Um, these symbols are, are up on the wall of our hospital um, and people got to say a little bit about on these little laminated plaques underneath. And so these plaques are there all together. We were going to spread them out around the hospital and somebody said, isn't it a more powerful message if we just put them all together? Mm. Um, and, you know, and so it's celebrating our difference, uh, but celebrating what, what we have in common. Um, as as well. Wow, that is that is powerful. With well, that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Solid Bam, and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Paul. And before the break, you had just finished talking about the global inclusive connectivity. So let's go to your core principle number three, courageously challenging. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. So, yeah, you, you, you do well to laugh, right? Yes, you I know, feel it. How do you, you know, uh, and, and, and if I was maybe doing it again, I'd probably, if I would, you know, because it's always good to re, you know, rewrite stuff, kind of what you learn. I'd probably be put compassionate in there uh, because, uh, and we do do it compassionately, but it would probably be best to to name it. 
Um, and uh, I've, I've been vice chair of our clinical ethics group uh, since it started um, maybe 15 years ago or so. And we, we, we see some very, very difficult cases, as a, as a lot of your listeners would, would be aware of. And sometimes people's personal preferences cannot be upheld. And sometimes there are consequences of people's actions that don't always have a positive outcome. And we've got to learn to be able to, if I might go as far as to say, to push back and to go, do you realize the implications of that? Uh, and, and that's been a very, very difficult journey for us. Um, and there are different aspects within virtually all of the world religions that can have not just a positive effect on health, but many people would feel a negative effect on health. Now, within that religion, they're willing to take that risk. And I fully respect and have only the utmost respect for people that make that decisions. Folks like our Jehovah Witnesses, uh, colleagues and families who would, you know, out of principle would not want blood products. And, you know, again, you've got to have full respect for, for folks uh, uh, but beliefs, but but that doesn't mean that the hospital won't take um, you know that family to court if they think that that child should have a blood transfusion, um, and we we have to sometimes challenge that, and we want to do it out of respect, um, uh, and you know that there, there are uh, certain cultural behaviors of cousins marrying cousins and some of these things have, you know have implications and it's it's still you know it's naming that elephant in the room mm. uh, and having the courageous conversations without judgment mm. and um the, 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 i want to kind of show you how high we hold this bar so by by this illustration this is this is one of my favorites so, so I don't want to put you on the spot, but I will. It, it, it will amuse the listeners, if nothing else. So, <laughs> Saul, if I said to you, Saul, I tolerate you. <laughs> I, I tolerate you, Saul. Okay, how, how would you, how, how's that make you feel to be tolerated? <laughs> what, kind, what, what does that word make you feel like? You feel some type of way, you know. Um... Tolerance is not full acceptance. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then how about this? If I come up to you and say, Saul, I respect you. That's powerful. Does that feel any different? Totally different from I tolerate you. Yeah. I feel more at peace and comfortable around you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what we've, with the tolerance, in the UK has got quite a high profile and a high virtue. And I want to, and I want to push back and I want to go, I know what you're trying to do, but it's not high enough. It's not good enough. It's good, but it's not good enough. Yeah. To, it, to tolerate somebody is, is, is not enough. And we've got to learn to respect people. We fundamentally disagree with mm. fundamentally disagree with. And, but that doesn't mean we need to agree with them. So <laughs> no, uh, it, we we can't, you know. And and as a, I, I, the, the illustration I use is this: as a multi faith chaplain, 
if the criteria for me as a as a manager is that I agree with all of my chaplains. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, what would that do to me? That's not good. If that's, the, if, if that's the criteria of being a good manager, that I have to agree with you, uh, and I can't. I, I, it's just impossible, right? Yeah. I, I mean, how how do I, you know? And so agreeing, uh, but but I can respect somebody who has a completely different view to 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 my to myself. But I but I might not agree with how that's practiced. But do I give them the entitlement to hold that view? Of course I do, and would want to accommodate it as much, even if it even if I fundamentally disagreed with it. And you know, um, you know, Americans would have different illustrations of 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 that. Uh, uh, you know, um, you guys, I watch enough American TV to know how you guys understand free speech and stuff, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's not so, you know, it's um, it's not so different to, to, to that. And I, and I think it's really, um, I think it's really important that we, we learn how, how to do that um, compassionately. Uh, and, you know, uh, and I think so for me, that's the, that's a part of the courageously challenging um, and the underbelly of that is being vulnerably, vulnerably available. Mm. So, you, you know, how we've got to be vulnerable and available to people that, yeah. you, you know, this is hard, yeah. you, you know, this is really difficult. And it takes a lot of compassion to do that, which leads to this to the fourth value. Yeah. Sustaining accessible compassion. Yeah. Yeah. When um this is I'll 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 tell you a little bit about from following on from the last bit of, of my vulnerability in this soul, which I yeah. you those of you who know me enough by now, I, I I'm I'm now old enough and ugly enough that I don't mind laughing at myself, right? So it's fine. <laughs> um I've been in those meetings, you know, and you kind of you're chairing a multi-faith meeting, and I just had one of those moments. So, and I don't know how, you know, what what happened, but it was just, um, and we talk about we use that phrase, uh, people of other faiths, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and the thought just, you know, far too late and should have occurred to me decades before. But I, I remember it distinctively. I sat there and I realized I'm the other faith hmm. to that person. Yes. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Uh, I, and, you know, I, you know, and, you know, with, you know, some of the, benefits of some of the you know me too black lives matter we we've learned to to find that identity and empathy that 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 some of the, what we've taken as the norm mm. is not the norm it's individuals norms mm. uh, and it, it from that moment it gave me a completely different perspective and i know it sounds a very silly story and i should have got it years ago and that, and that's partly why I'm sharing it because I didn't it, but it was that moment where I yeah. kind of went, actually, 
you know, I, I, I th that being compassionate, I am that other faith. Mm. Um, and, and being um, a part of a compassionate community as, as we figure out how we do this together mm. um, was just really very, very uh, important to us. And, it, you know, a lot of our staff care and bespoke staff care came uh, out of that compassion um, and the underbelly of self-care um, came came out of it um but but you know that was you know and we we learned from some of our colleagues in mental health and we you know in the early days we we saw that you know a mental health trust you know a, a hospital do, doing retreat days for their staff and we were kind of like wow we've got to be able to do that and so you know offering bespoke care you know that's sustainable, that's accessible, that's compassionate, where people are different, uh, and having that 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 as as our as our as our benchmark, um, um, it was just really very very important to us. I really have found these values. Uh, these are really strong, and um, I think it it leads to proper care. Because we live in a culture that is quick to to differentiate, like the other, like you say, yeah, <laughs> the other and the other is different and all this. Yes, the other might be different, but we can actually live together, and we can actually take good care of each other with respect, with Indeed. compassion, with vulnerability. Yeah. We can be vulnerable to one another. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. And the fourth, uh, the fifth uh, value leads to that: celebrating yeah. and championing diversity. Yeah, yeah. When um, uh, one, one of our Muslim chaplains would always say to me, so if he knew I was coming on this sh show today, he would say, Paul, you go and tell him, <laughs> very direct, you tell him that we celebrate what we have in common and what we have different, and you tell him we do both. Hmm. <laughs> 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 and 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 that's and that's what we've that's what we've learned to do we've we've learned to to hold both as true that mm. that we that we celebrate the diversity we celebrate our commonality um you know with with all of those um you know that like those multi-faith uh you know the celebrate uh practices um, you know, this is where the multi-faith, not interfaith, where we celebrate the individuality of and respect it. Hmm. So, you know, we were when when we did this saw, it was a very, very, very weird journey. And I'm, I'll be I'll tell a very, very honest story here. Um, so there, there weren't very many uh resources for children's hospice hospices and hospices and of, of faith and belief um but we found a few christian bereavement resources but we found no it's islamic resources mm. um and so the first book we did was uh and we 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 couldn't find anything so we we think it was the first of its kind in the world we did the first child bereavement muslim booklet for families mm. Um, and that was the first book that that we did, because we want we realised, 
you know, picking up something. Yes, you might find something that that is that commonality yeah. of those common spirituals uh, and pastoral needs. But when you have bespoke religious needs, it that you find it very, very different in different places and in different beliefs, um, you know, in different understandings of the afterlife, of, of, of what happens to you. And so we we um we then started commissioning different faith, and that I was talking about the held in hope resources last time. Yeah. And and what happened, Saul, it was so counterintuitive. I've you know, I think I've shared this before. I'm I'm now so glad I'm just not that clever to plan these things. <laughs> because what happened was when we did that uh, and people um from the, the mosques in Birmingham heard what we were doing, and so this white evangelical charismatic senior chaplain started to be called a friend of Islam. Hmm. And you kind of go, uh, excuse me? <laughs> what? <laughs> what, what, what's, 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 all, what's all that about? And you kind of go, but you're helping us serve our community. And I go, yeah, but I'm, I'm just helping your community to serve its own community. And they just said, yes, but that's what we need to do together. I said, well, that to me is just only right and justice. That that's yeah. that's these principles that 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 we're that we're talking about. And and it um and it's that bespoke care, mm. you know, where you 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 have those different resources. Um and um some of some of the principle you 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 guys use the phrase political correctness Saul yes but yeah okay we we um it gets abbreviated in the UK to the 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 letters PC so are you being PC do you do you use it like that in America I've not heard that no, no. okay so <laughs> you know you know are you being PC you know are you being politically correct here uh and um I understand what people mean by that, but I, I get myself into trouble, and I go, I go, I go. Uh, I I don't believe in political correctness. I I don't believe in doing these things just because they they look like the right thing to do. Mm. The only PC I'm I'm interested in is personal care. Mm. That's the only PC I'm interested in. I'm I'm not going to be driven by by a political ag- agenda. No, this is this individual deserves personal care. Yes, that is bespoke to their needs, and and if anything, you know, if chaplains want to argue for their case to exist, it's because people's personal beliefs affects their mental and physical and psychological well being, and, and that's again what we benefit. That's what we bring to the party in our institutions. Yeah. That's the specialism that we bring. And so, you know, that that personal uh, care as we celebrate and champion in that. Uh, and the other, because there's always different sides to the argument, Saul, uh, one of the other phrases that I have, and I think... I think this will translate, but we'll we'll see. If you tell me this doesn't make sense, you can explain it to the listeners, right? Okay. When, when we when we do chaplaincy, and when we expect to go 
when we walk up to the bedside and the, the, the extended, you know, pre-COVID, the extended family were there, um, we, we would, we, we have a, one of our training principles is this, expect a casserole, not a roast. Hmm. Expect a casserole, not, not a roast. A roast. <laughs> All right? And yes. what I mean by that is this could be a multi-meat stew. Mm. It's not going to be a bit of roast beef or yes. a roast chicken. When you get to that bedside, you're going to have the casserole of life. You're going to just have that whole mixture there. Uh, and, you know, we, 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 we love that when that happens in our, in our hospital where you've got, you know, two parents of different faith and the child has a different faith and you're asked to go and do prayers. Yeah. And you kind of go, okay, <laughs> I, I don't know what that prayer looks like. You know, <laughs> one of the first bits of research that we did, saw was um, we compared the Christian prayers from the chapel and the Muslim prayers from the Muslim prayer room. Uh, and I showed uh, our imam these 50, 60 prayers from the prayer. Maybe more than that. It's quite a long while ago. Um, and I said to him, what in these prayers could you not pray? Mm. And it'd be interesting what, what people think um, he he could do. And I won't put you, I won't put you on the spot. I've I picked on you once today. I, I won't, <laughs> I won't do that to you. Um, but one of the things he said was um, we, we ask Jesus to pray for us. We don't pray to Jesus because one only prays to God and Islam would not have an understanding that Jesus was God. Mm. Um, and um, we, we don't, um, we can't use the prayer, uh, our father, because we don't have a human image of God, you know, that's got a lot of mm. people in trouble in different places. Yeah. And so when I go to these places and people think that they can use the Lord's prayer mm. as an all encompassing prayer that other people can pray, you, you, you've, you know, you've, you've only got to the second word and you've offended mm. a, a huge population of the people there. Yeah. And, 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 and this is, you know, I'm not saying there aren't some very clever people that can't develop prayers that can't that can include everybody. And you, you know, we 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 meet daily with our multi-faith team and we have multi-team, we have loads of celebrations together and meetings together. And you, 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 you know, we have an, an all an awful lot of fun to to together. I mean, um, but uh, what we don't do, Saul, is we don't pray together and we don't worship together. Mm. Makes sense because I don't. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. What I, I I don't want to. I don't want to offend people. Uh, and and people, you know, in my team, as I'm sure a lot of the multi faith teams are listening to this, they are so gracious and generous that they let all of that slide. <laughs> you, know, um, you know. You uh, know. The first For the sake time of I, unity. I met, yeah, I, I met a first time I met a female Muslim chaplain. I went up to her and shook her hand. Well, in the UK, that that is not what you do to a female uh, Muslim. It's just, you know, they they have physical touch with with close male members of their family, and that's it. 
But this lady was so gracious, she reached out her hand and she took mine and she took, she shook it, you know. But, you know, going back to what we were talking about, there is a competence there. Why would I embarrass her? Mm. Why would I, why would I make her have to be that generous to her? Now she'll do that. And, and, you know, we still, we know each other now and we're good friends and we, she, she teases me about, about it on a regular basis. And I bring her up just to make her look good. And, you know, and, <laughs> but it's, it, it's realizing that that by trying to do a one size fits all, we're, we're in danger of offending people and, I think we can celebrate our humanity and our pastoral needs and our, some of our spiritual needs, but I want to offer people those bespoke religious needs when they want it, how they want to pray, what they want prayed in a way that's respectful to them. Um, and, you know, that's what's led us to, to doing that. And, and, and I think this is, uh, there's another aspect, last point, I think, Saul, that is, is I think we've now learned that equality is not about treating everybody the same. Mm. You know, there's that, I, I don't know whether you've seen that, that little imagery, some of, I'm sure the listeners have, of, of, of the children trying to look over the fence of different heights. And for them to look over the fence, they need different size boxes to stand on to look over the fence. <laughs> True. Well, to give equal opportunity, you've got to give the kids of different sizes different size boxes. Mm. Giving them, giving the five-year-old the same size box as the eighteen-year-old to look over the fence. Well, you're giving them the same size box, but they ain't looking over the fence. No. And and I think what we need to do is to we've we've figured this out an awful lot better. We we give we give people the opportunity of treating them differently to give them the same opportunity. And that means treating them differently. And, and I know some people are not fond of po uh, positive discrimination, but I, there are inequalities that need to be addressed. Uh, and I'll give you a very, very practical illustration of this in our, in what we're talking about. We, we thought we were being all really good in our bereavement. We got this bereavement pathway, a part of our competency and, and everything, and we're doing all these wonderful bereavement booklets, and we started doing anniversary cards. And what we, what we found was um, that we... Um, so we were sending out anniversary cards to our Hindu and Sikh bereavement families a year after the birth, and we're thinking, this is great, and... And, and then we got some feedback from, from one of the families that said, do you realise that by sending us an anniversary card is encourage us to think about the person that has died and within our faith values to keep thinking about them is to hold them back from their reincarnation? Wow. Hmm. <laughs> That's powerful. And you kind of go, oh, oh, oh. Okay. Wow. You know, to send out a condolence card in the first three days to a Muslim family in their time of bereavement is 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 the crucial time that you communicate that bereavement because they will want to the, the funeral will happen ideally within 24 hours, and those first 72 hours are that is that time of condolence. Mm. So we send out the condolence cards 
very quickly just to our Muslim families. Hmm. We, and, and so we don't do a Muslim memorial event, a religious event. Now, Saul, I want to do one. <laughs> so the, the manager wants to do a because I want to bless everybody and comfort everybody. Hmm. But my Muslim team go to me, the Muslim community does not have a concept of picking an arbitrary date to remember dead people. Hmm. Wow. And and so they're kind of going, well, it's all very well, Paul, but, you know, and, you know, these, you know, when we try and do these interfaith bereavement events and stuff, I understand what people are trying to do, and they're, they're following all similar values to us. Um, but I want to kind of say we'll do a spiritual pastoral like that picnic and that walk I was telling you about, mm. but we'll, we'll then do a Christian event and, and where we'll do Christian prayers and sing Christian songs. And if other people want to come, that's fine. Mm. But am I offending them by even inviting them? Good question. Wow. You know, <laughs> and, and so I'm trying to be inclusive and not excluding other people. But am I offending them by even inviting them that the first thing they hear is a, is a song referring to Jesus as God? Hmm. And expect them, now they'll be gracious and they'll be kind and they'll find po points to connect. And that's gracious and wise of them. But, you know, it's, so that's kind of just some of our stories and some of our history and, and the journey that we're, that we're still on. Um, and again, we've not even talked about the whole humanist, you know, wisdom that's come into our care of why we now call it multi-faith and belief, because that's really important to, to uh, respect folks that come with, with, a, with, a, with a humanist values uh, rather than a religious values, and that we we apply those same principles of care, uh, of of respect, um, to 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 that to that part of our community as well. So, um, th those are some of our values. Saul, those are some of our practices, um, and um, yeah. So, yeah, that's some some of our story. Uh, the hours flown by quickly. Uh, thank you, Paul. That was um, <laughs> that is really a powerful education, and I think our listeners are going to benefit a lot from that. So I want to thank you for making yourself available and actually uh, teach or train, because these are some things we actually take for granted. We think, you know, we are extending, you know, <laughs> the right arm of fellowship for the good. But in yeah. the process, we could end up offending a lot of people. So this was, I've learned a lot. So thank you very much for talking about these core values. You're very, you're very welcome. And like I say, you know, people will use a different language for different things. And if people have made different values and different practices work in their communities, then my response is just, just wonderful. This, this is our story and our journey. And if it's helpful, fine if it's not helpful then again i don't seek to offend either and want to respect other people's journey that have come to different conclusions and use different language and and i'm sure we'd find an almost you know identical values and just work them out differently so but that that's that's a part of our journey and so 
Um, I hope that's been of some encouragement and, uh, to people, but thank you. That was Paul Nash, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is season three. We have a lot of episodes from season one and season two. Please feel free to go into the archives and listen to some of uh, our interviews. We've had great guests over the last two years. Thank you very much. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.